So Brandon Johnson, mayor of Chicago, came up with an amazing font of wisdom the other day, the pearl of wisdom that just popped out of his head, fully formed. And it was about critics of Chicago, keep your mouth shut, or better yet, keep your mouth shut. He's basically said, if you're not from Chicago, you have no right to say anything. And let me make this emphatically clear. If you don't live in Chicago, you don't have a right to talk about the city of Chicago. Well, bless bless him. You know, that's all I got to say. Bless him. While the, while people in the in the CTA riding the CTA are being assaulted every day, while people can't find jobs, while other thugs are attacking people in the street, uh Johnson wants me to keep quiet. I know what what happened. A day after I wrote that column on Johnson losing control and allowing all this to happen on the CTA. And will would you ever, ever let your daughter ride on the CTA? Mr. Johnson was the column, and it went national. It was on Real Clear Politics and other sites nationally. He comes out and says, if you don't live in Chicago, keep your mouth shut. Well, guess what, Mayor? I'm sorry. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to keep talking. And better yet, I'm going to talk to somebody who else is not from Chicago, but knows Chicago. He knows the Chicago way. His name is Nicholas Cass. My brother lives in Bucharest, Romania, far from Chicago, on the edge of the old Soviet Union. But years ago, as I remember him, clearly in Chicago, on the gritty streets of Gage Park, <laughs> when they weren't gritty or dangerous, he was in the meat cooler of my father's store, and he was slugging sides of beef like Rocky to break their ribs like Rocky because he had a big tournament coming up in karate. I remember that. And I think he wanted to fight Bill Thunderfoot Wallace, but he never got the chance, which always bothered him. But one thing that never got under my brother's skin was criticism by hack politicians. And so we're going to ask him about Johnson, about Chicago, and about, uh, speaking of hack politicians who get paid off, how about the guy in the White House who uh, is destroying the U.S.-NATO relationship right at the moment it needs to be strong, right at the moment that China is about to tip the apple cart. And if we ever needed a U.S.-NATO relationship, And why is Nick important and karate really doesn't have anything to do with it? It's because for 30 plus years, he spent uh, in the U.S. government. He spent it in foreign policy, in the federal government, in the State Department, in Central Intelligence Agency, in briefing the president of the United States in early mornings, leaving his home at at 2 o'clock or maybe even earlier to get there by dawn. So I guess he and spending a lot of time and years, in fact, in the in uh, Turkey, in Ankara, and he's an expert in many things foreign policy. So yeah, we're not talking to him just because he's my brother. It's because he knows what the bleep he's talking about. And as always, Jeff Carlin is here too, our buddy, mutual friend of me and Nick, friend of uh, cats, friend of pies, and husband of dear Christine, who's had some health issues with uh, feeling pain in her lower back, and we're hoping that she feels better. And everyone, please 
light a candle and and think of those people who are less less fortunate than you. And where are you with Jeff Carlin dealing with me and my brother Nick in Bucharest, Romania, where everybody seems to be a thick-necked driver? For some reason, we'll get into that. Why is everyone a driver? You're on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Plus. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog, and he has this Tammany Hall-style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago way, absolutely. Look, the, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way, that's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand. Defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. As promised, Nicholas J. Cass, foreign policy expert, U.S. State Department former CIA uh, um, analyst and briefer of presidents, briefer of uh, speakers of houses, and not Mike Madigan either, but the real one. Nick, welcome to the Chicago Way podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hey, Nick. Great to have you. Sound bright and clear from Romania. I love it. Thanks. Yeah, I know, John, I didn't fight uh, Bill Wallace, but I did get a private fight in front of Masutatsu Oyama, which was... uh, a million times better. You know, we can talk about that some other time, maybe. You know, just the idea that you got to fight and spar before Mazuyama is like the, you know, biggest rock star thing in my Pretty life. Pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was badass because, you know, because we had a lot going. I mean, the, the, the honor of the dojo was at stake. And so my uh, uh, friend and training partner, Randy Van Loon, who was this huge muscular guy and just really, really good, we just like slugged it out. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, so uh, that's the way it goes in those days, you know. Anyway, good to be here, guys. Well, Nick, uh, Nick, and we're glad you're to have you because right, we're now coming up, I guess, more than a year yeah. since uh, President Biden idiotically invited Russia to attack uh, the uh, the land of Ukraine. And many people thought it would uh, not not last long, and it's lasted long because the American people and taxpayers are spending a lot of money there, building up the the military of Ukraine and using products that they shouldn't be using, and involving us deeper and deeper in uh, in uh, debt and uh, blood. But here's the problem, as far as I'm concerned. At the same time this is going on, China is holding us in thorough contempt. China is mocking us and has been mocking us for a long time, since before Biden's uh, terrible Afghanistan withdrawal, which led to the deaths of many Marines. And I'm wondering if if there was ever a time... When we needed, when we as the United States 
Democrats and Republicans, needed a strong NATO. It would be now. But the Ukraine-Russia war and our mumbling policy, in my view, my my own opinion, um, has led us to a situation where I think NATO is being threatened. What say you, Nick? That's a that's the big question, John. I think um, you know what you might recall, uh, Jeff. To uh, that, I think the first time we talked about this was before the war even started, and we brought up the idea of uh, Mister Creosote from uh, Monty Python's uh, Life <laughs> of Brian, or from uh, Meaning of Life, the guy who ate that last wafer and exploded. Right. So um, the day, I mean. Europe and the membership of NATO, the members are all complex countries, and altogether there's even more complexity, and you have a lot of disagreement. And so when you're trying to manage uh, a group of cats like that, you're trying to herd cats like that, first thing you have to do is do no harm. Focus on the members and try not to add um, other uh, additional points of stress. And the unfortunate thing about uh, the Ukraine war is that that is indeed um, causing stress that I think is is becoming more and more evident. You're seeing some of the Western uh, countries like France, for example, and the UK at uh, completely different points. But you have a lot of other um, uh, folks who are really worried. I mean, some countries in Eastern Europe, you know, they jo- were happy to join NATO to, um, uh, you know, uh, protect themselves and protect uh, others from the uh, threat of uh, a Russian attack. And the irony is that the way this Ukraine war has been handled is that it brings um, Russia into more uh, direct conflict with NATO countries than it ever it ever did before, and I think that this is just an extraordinarily uh, been extraordinarily badly mismanaged. Uh, you know, we've seen now that uh, as valiant as the Ukrainians have been in fighting um, and putting aside their government's actions, but just talking right. about the guys fighting, they're tough people. Yeah, they're tough people. And um, but they're running into um, some very, very basic um, problems that are a result of Russian Russia's innate military superiority in terms of population, in terms of um, resources it can bring to bear artillery. Um, you know, I'm not a military expert, so I don't want to go too far down that lane. But as a strategic matter, I think you're seeing that, particularly since the loss of at Bakhmut, and uh, now we have this. Um, dam situation. Who knows what to make of it? I guess it'll all uh, come out. Well, let's, talk about like yeah. let's talk about the dam. Let's talk about the dam. That those who don't know, um, in the in the infighting between Russia and uh, Ukraine, there has been many claims of atrocities and many claims of this news versus that news. And really, I can't believe it. I and I don't believe our our own media anymore for, for the way they cover things. So. There was an eruption at a dam in Ukraine that um, cools a nuclear reactor. And now without a nuclear reactor being cooled, you have a crisis. It's called a crisis and a meltdown in Three Miles Island and uh, Chernobyl and all that. What's going on with that, Nick? What, where's that going? And why? what's the reticence? of the American news media not to to not want to explore it or report on it just the way they don't want to report on 
Nazi, I'm sorry, Nazi uh, symbols on on the Ukrainian troops. The, yeah. Tattoos. And there's, there's something I just read the other day in one of the foreign policy magazines, a, cred- a credible outfit that said American journalists were basically editing the, the photographs and the images from the Ukrainians so that they didn't have to depict them with swastikas or SS signs on their arms. What's going on? Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's a, a related but a separate question, and we should talk about that too. But let me just, on the Ukraine uh, uh, situation right now with mm-hmm. uh, the, the uh, dam, my understanding is that uh, the United States government is uh, not really commenting uh, much officially in either way, saying uh, what's possible, what's not possible. Um, and I think, uh, you know, you're obviously getting Ukrainians and uh, Russians are throwing accusations back and forth. Some people are pointing out this seems to have been, if it was a Russian uh, activity, it would seem to be not in the Russian's interest to do that. So, you know, casting doubt on the theory that it was the Russians. Who knows? Who right, knows who at knows? this point? I think the main thing is just to stand by. And that actually might be one reason why the media has been so reluctant, because my impression of American media is that unless it's spoon fed to them, it's very, very hard for them to understand almost anything these days. It's um, it's one of the greatest tragedies. I, I think uh, when you think about the state of democracy in the United States and you see the quality of the media that we have, I think it's mm-hmm. it's extraordinary. And um that I think um, is uh, affects everything. It affects uh, the way in which we look at other countries. It affects the, not only the reporting on the war, but it reflect, reflects uh, the reporting on obviously uh, what the uh, government does on internal matters, how we uh, approach things, how we focus on things or not. I mean, the, um, uh, the you know they just refuse to look at certain things that seem to conflict with uh, the preferred uh, narrative, and I think that's a a phenomenon that's being applied worldwide. And I see it uh, from Romania. I can see that when it's applied to uh, places that I, I know very, very well. And I can see that how that uh, what passes for reportage or analysis is just a complete joke. And I think the consequence of that is that it conditions a public uh, debate on issue X, Y, or Z at both the elite and at the popular level, which is completely devoid of any sense of what the realities are on the ground. And I think what we need right now, both in Ukraine and uh, elsewhere, is a realistic understanding of of what the actual situation is. So people will, um, I share your view about um, how we got here. It was a mistake. This this should not have happened. But we are here now. And so then the question is, goes, what do we do? Well, in order to figure out what we need to do, we need to stop thinking ideologically. We need to start uh, opening our eyes and focusing on the realities on the ground. And that will condition a lot of what's, what's going on. This is not a good situation. But the longer it goes, the more pressure it puts on NATO. And I would say um, that the preservation of NATO and the security of the NATO allies, the actual guys who are in NATO, mm-hmm. the treaty, those are the most important things. The rest of it, unfortunately, is not. And if there's something that's causing that uh, a problem there, I think we should. We, it behooves us to start thinking about how we how we address that. And so I hope that uh, um, eventually some realism creeps into this. I know there was there is some debate publicly in Washington these days about frozen conflicts and all of that, and that might be uh, certainly preferable to a situation where you mm-hmm. continue fighting 
uh, many more innocent civilians and others die, and then you wind up uh, in a situation Nothing. that's either, yeah, either where you are now, which is the best uh, case, or in a worst case. And um, it's, um, it, you know, again, we have to think about it from a humanitarian standpoint as well. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. And that would look like something like the DMZ kind of, is that what you're, you're kind of alluding to? Like, like a shut it down, let's see if we can figure this out. And, well, there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, and so the, the, the and the, the basic idea would be that this was not a resolved situation. Nobody mm-hmm. has taken a backward step, but uh, the reality is that, you know, people, uh, possession being nine-tenths of the law, you know, this is where the situation is. And uh, then to start thinking about how we um, talk about this and extricate ourselves. Uh, but can the American left, can the American left, which is inexplicably glommed on to Ukraine with Ukrainian flags and all sorts and and viciously ignored the the Ukrainian I guess zeitgeist yeah. um how 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 can they be expected to go along with the fro- frozen status quo when that would basically uh and clearly point out that the Russians have won well, I think that the bottom line for the, on that calculus, I think that the, the domestic actors, political actors are thinking of domestic politics. Yes. And so I imagine that there are uh, many progressive interests that would see um, Ukraine as, you know, obviously they would not want to see uh, uh, Ukraine lose, but would accept it if indeed uh, the alternative would be to call into question uh you know, their participation on the sort of leadership coalition more broadly, because the game is really about what, you know, the having maintaining the power to uh, to do what they want in the United States. And I think that's uh, probably the calculation on, on all sides. I mean, people are thinking about what this means for me politically uh, and does this affect my my ability to enact my agenda at home where the real battle is. The war is just a means to an end or never, enough. never underestimate the potential cravenness of the American political uh, class. But yeah. um, you have to help us out with one thing. Sure. Jeff, I want you to help Jeff and me and our listeners out with, with an understanding here. So with all this going on and all this conflicting, you know, propaganda back and forth, the Ukrainians, the, the Russians, Putin. I mean, who believes Putin? I don't, but I don't believe the Ukrainians either. Right. Um, so with all this going on back and forth and the Democrats and uh, screaming like the, one, one, the fellow from uh, Maryland, Jamie Reskin, with it, uh, head cloth on, screaming. Oh, they're all screaming. What, what, what does Nick Cass read? Where does Nick Cass go for information? Well, I mean, it's, I, I would say, um, for American journalists, I mean, I read a number of folks. I try to read guys on uh, Real Clear, like uh, Wegman and others who do some really good reporting on, I think, the domestic situation. Yeah, Phil Rock, uh, Bill, yeah. Bill Malugin, Julio Rojas, those kind of guys. Yeah. You know, um, I also read uh, uh, Matt Taibbi and, of course, um, uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald. I like uh, Rod Dreher. Um, I, I appreciate what he's writing about in Hungary because I see a lot of similarities to the situation here in Romania. Yes. Um, but then I also try, and I'm fortunate enough in the areas where I really care about, to be able to read um, the uh, you know the the papers and the vernacular. So I'm going to read uh, 
you know, uh, Turkish and Kurdish uh, newspapers. And you'll be surprised how much uh, their analysis, their perception of reality is 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 often uh, quite uh, quite far superior to what you get in the Acela Corridor. So um, I think you just got to, I mean, I think it takes a lot of work. It's really unfortunate because normal people are have real lives and they're busy and they don't have time to uh, to sift through the wheat, through the chaff on on uh, on all of these issues. And so they're reliant on uh, a mainstream media that used to be, uh, you know, sort of at least had some sort of uh, <laughs> tense toward being uh, toward toward being somewhat more objective. We had the I, luxury of believing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah we had the luxury. Did yeah. we re- but was it really ever that good? I mean, I don't know. In my lifetime, and I, you know, I was born in the eighties. It's always been that, it, it, especially in foreign affairs. I mean, the idea of wag the dog and, and the yeah, first yeah. desert storm and then the second. I mean, all those things were, were rife with BS from the media selling them as these well, great things. And then, then we look back, true. oh, they were terrible. I think that's, it's kind of been an illusion all along that we were you know, living in this bubble of pure American yes. you know, in journalism. I, I, think there's, I think there's something to be said for that. But I will also say that that corresponded with uh, a period, let's say, uh, after the Vietnam War, when I was in university, where at DePaul, I went to DePaul, and I had uh, professors who were avowed communists, right? Mm-hmm. Guys who were about as, as left as you could go, smart people, who were Great also professors. very, yeah, who were also very interested in actually hearing what I had to say, and not only that, but trying to help me develop my ideas, despite oh, the sure. fact that they might have disagreed. And so I think that that was much more of a of a uh, uh, that was much more possible in the United States than it is now. Instead, what you get, I mean, I was just watching Chuck Todd, oh, you know, uh, leave leave uh, CBS or whatever he's at, saying yeah. something about how we never uh, promoted ideology that. or like agendas. And I'm just like, dude, so are, full you, of crap. are you yeah. insane? I mean, I think <laughs> there's almost like an insanity where people just don't yeah. recognize or don't aren't willing to recognize or. They are complete uh, and utter uh, prostitutes with no shame. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I think there's a combination of that. It wasn't always the case. I think people were wrong back in the, sure. 80s, the 80s or 70s to believe that everything was open. I think there was clearly an effort to kind of control the message, but there was not this animus toward actual sure, exchange yeah. of ideas that you find now, which makes it impossible for people to explore things like sure. You know, the, the vitriol has certainly been amped up with the modern you know, media, or, with TV or, and cable or, TV and the Internet, of course. Or, Jeff, I mean, I think the bottom line is, you know, back in the 80s, you, I mean, you would never not report things. I mean, they might report things and say, oh, Reagan said something crazy. Right. But now there's things like, you know, the possibility of the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation being held in contempt of court or contempt of Congress. And it's like, people are like, oh, nothing to see here. So that tells you something (laughs) about the nature of, I mean, we went through a seven-year period where President Trump was assaulted by media and, you know, what I, Mm. you know, would call deep state elements, which were um, trying to overthrow him. For six years, and we just had reports about it, and I think the Durham report at least served to let people know that the whole thing was absolute poppycock from beginning to end, and yet the mainstream media, nobody in the mainstream media is saying, "Uh, you know, this is a real issue. Eh, Maybe it's a problem. And what you see is you see that being applied to every issue, whether it's foreign policy, the most, some of the most ludicrous, childlike analysis 
of the situation out in the Ukraine or right. like in Turkey or in Kurdistan or uh, in Europe, anywhere. You pick a spot. You pick a spot, and I can guarantee you that it's going to be the same kind of facile, uh, lazy analysis that does a huge disservice to people, huge disservice. And I think we're paying the price, and it's really uh, it's very um, serious. And I, and I didn't mean to speak in such an impassioned way, but <laughs> no, I just good. find this as like, you know, Nick, we like passion. Yeah, all good. We're not, good. we're not, uh, we're not like, uh, we're not those who freak out about passion. You know, no, we don't wilt man, lately. There's an, yeah. a red-blooded American in our midst. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but you know, it's like it's Spencer like him. Yeah. It's not. I mean, so there are a lot of people who will get that and they'll see it and they'll understand what we were talking about here. There are a lot of people who will reject it, and I think the problem is trying to get to the people who re- who reject that and say, "Don't you see? Don't can you not see what is going on? Can you not pause and think that what has been happening?" Uh, over the last six or seven years, when you have that level of mendacity on the part of politicians, but also elements of the security apparatus or, you know, the whatever. I mean, can you not see that there is a problem? And, that, and this is oh, a significant yeah. problem that has ramifications far beyond uh, the current events here. I mean, sure. you know, I mean, we're it's just it's horrible. Yeah. We're bringing this around because all things are local. All mm-hmm. politics is local. Of course it is. Of course it is. And we bring it back to Chicago and uh, what you see of your hometown now that, uh, you know, I remember I'm often uh, criticized for daring to say something that maybe the left in its fever Twitter swamp might not like. You know, something of uh, like the, the way Eric Zorn lives I live rent free in Eric Zorn's head and he's constantly going through Twitter to find something that he might be able to use to to cudgel me. It's like rather pathetic. It's sad, sad really, but yes, but, uh, but we have a problem in Chicago and that's our mayor. The mayor is saying, shut up, John Cass, or not, maybe not me personally. If you don't live here, shut Hmm. up. And I and I live in happily in Indiana, the free state of Indiana. Well, you mean he says, "Shut up! You have no right to talk unless your yeah. name is Soros." <laughs> you know, is that uh, is that how it works? Well, you can man. talk if you if you if you. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, how much outside money uh, does uh, do him do does he and his uh, his colleagues accept? I mean, you, you pointed out quite often about Kim Fox <clears throat> taking money. I mean, last I heard, uh, George Soros was not a um, you know. Uh, living in uh, Highland Park or something, you know. What I mean, mm-hmm, he's right. uh, he's uh, you know living abroad or wherever the heck he is. I have no idea. So th- this is just ri- ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's if you have national labor money, you can talk. But other than that, get out yeah. of his way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, embar- it's, it's, it's embarrassing. embarrassing. And and that clip when we played it a little earlier, um, but it of wasn't. The mayor? Yeah, have yeah, the mayor and the part even before that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, I, I was expecting him to say something stupid. Like that, because yeah. you know, he always tends to say these things. It sounds like he's got Obama's speechwriters working for him when he does this stuff. But he but talks they're about, on acid when they're working for him. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I think they're just on like 100% oxygen, so they, they think right. they're gods. Um, yeah. But the reality is that this guy is like talking about, well, you know, I'm a teacher. I don't know if you remember that. How could we forget? But he yeah. says that that was his favorite job in the whole world, which I hope to be a teacher someday. And I, and I can stand behind that. But 
Betty goes on to say that the, except for the last three weeks have been terrible. Dude, you took the job. You you spent millions of dollars, and you can't just do it the right way. And just you, why why are you you're, you're taking away our rights? Like if I'm not don't live in the city, I don't have the right to say anything about it. Or oh, if I work down here, I don't have a right. Or if I have a business down here, I don't apparently don't have a right. I mean, talk about he's all about Mister Inclusivity. That's the exact opposite. In fact, it's un-American because he's talking about taking away people's rights. And this is the people, the, the, the guy who people say is the one who knows what's in all of our hearts and can find the good in all of us. And he can yeah. reach down and touch the youth of the, of the city and raise them up unless they, they live on the other side of, uh, of West or the other side of the city and they don't quite live in the boundary. I mean, it's so it's just it's ridiculous and they and live to, in oak park <laughs> right exactly and to your point the media is touting this thing is like oh he's doing you know look at him he's he's trying to get close to the cops because that what we that clip you heard was he was talking addressing recent police graduates and trying yeah. to boost them up and how disingenuous could you be look, I, mean, I mean the guy i mean what's he gonna do I mean, well let's put it let's look at it from his his shoes though sure what's he gonna talk about the cta <laughs> gonna right. talk about getting, i mean you know, I, I live here in Bucharest, or as uh, you know, many people will say Bucharest out here. <laughs> a lot of my English-speaking friends will say Bucharest. And, uh, you know, I have a son who's 17 going on 18, and he'll say, you know, hey, I'm going to go uh, explore uh, the city. I'm just going to take the whatever. And I'm like, okay. And I don't, I mean, I oh, you always worry as a parent, but you never, it's not like I'm thinking I'm, he's going off to the front lines. I'm not thinking that if he, overstays or over misses his stop that he's in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. He, it's a civilized country. And I, I cannot tell you how great it is to be able to live in a place where that kind of um, fear, the fear of, of violence in your community is just really, really uh, almost negligible. You mean so, live in a country where the, where the criminals are scared and the citizens are happy yeah, instead, of, instead yeah, of the opposite? Exactly. And not only that, but it's like the 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 social structure is so intact here that a lot of this would not occur. I mean, it wouldn't occur to people mm-hmm. to do. I mean, it's just literally a different place. And um, you know, used to be like that, but um, that those days are long gone in the United States. And it's unfortunate that uh, the mayor, instead of trying to address that and deal with that, had uh, forthrightly is. Um, you know, resorting to this kind of uh, ludicrous, ridiculous, and what would be embarrassing uh, uh, rhetoric uh, on this. So it's just, it's sad. And I feel sorry for everybody out there in Chicago because it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon, guys. It's not mm-hmm. going to get better. It's going to have to bottom out. And as long as Tony Preckwinkle and Kim Fox are the architects of this decarceration movement and are not mentioned at all by, the media that uh, you mentioned uh, that has ceded editorial control to uh, George Soros and his ilk. Yeah. Um, well, that, that that means you're never going to see any real change in their, the lifetime of those political actors. Yeah. It's, no, I think it's, it's not I think it's, yeah, no, it's, it's the sound of a, it's like you always say, it's like the um, sound uh, of, of a city dying. It's like a death rattle. And um, it just, it's heartbreaking in a way. And the worst part is that people are just like frittering and blithering around while this is happening. You know, first get what, what it was, what's the slogan out there? First we get the money. <laughs> I, mean, <what laughs> is, I mean, is that real? 
Is that really what the uh, a slogan that's associated with the Chicago? The, the, yeah. No, First you I get think, the money. Where's that? Where's I think that whole the, thing I I think the slogan is "Shut up and take it." That's yeah, there's I, definitely that. There's but definitely you know what? The people, the people of the "Shut up and take it" crowd, they're they're not taking it because every day I'm seeing more and more homes being built out here in Indiana, Northwest, beautiful Northwest Indiana, where yeah. thousands of homes are being built for the uh, overflow of refugees. And uh, I I think that when they come out here. What they're going to want is their schools to work, and their um, and their public safety to the public <laughs> transportation yeah. to be safe, and the streets to be devoid of predators. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a radical concept here. But, but but that is a real thing. First, we get the money. If for those who are, or may not have followed that, uh, last month in May. The Johnson's transition team drew up a plan to raise $12 billion oh, in new yeah. revenue. And the title of it was, first, we get the money. You know what? Big, bold the, letters. The crassest, Good catch, bureaucrat, the crassest bureaucrat in the Ceausescu era here <laughs> would, would never have said that. I mean, maybe they didn't have to. Right. But that, I, mean, that, I mean, but the idea that that would be that kind of obvious... Uh, it's for the edification of listeners who may not know. Could Nick, could you tell us what happened to Nicola Ceausescu? Yeah, Nicola Ceausescu was the uh, communist dictator of um, of um, uh, Romania. Uh, and in 1989, he was giving a speech and found out nobody liked him anymore. He tried to escape, people turned him in. He had a one hour trial, and I think uh, some of his former associates demonstrating that they were Democrats, uh, pulled them out and shot them and killed them. Um, and so because it took they a while. Wanted, they wanted to prove, yeah, we're, we're not Democrats. with this guy. Right. Yeah, we're, we're Democrats. With you, not with them. Right. Right. And so what happened for the poor Romanians was, of course, they had to de- and deal with a lot of the aftermath of that. Um, I mean, it was an extraordinary moment, the revolution. A lot of people actually died and, and put, put it on the line. just so. And these guys were trying to obviously uh, take over and keep it going. Uh, with under certain guys, but eventually, uh, particularly by the last uh, 20 years or so, you've seen, uh, you know, obviously with their entry into the EU and uh, entry into NATO, you've seen a lot of uh, change here and people are, are serious now. You know, there's still a lot of problems here with the old mentality that continues to exist, but it's not communist as much. And the social and the actual, um, the, the former Communist Party, the Social Democratic Party, is actually... Um, uh, you know, pretty interesting when it comes to issues of religion, for example. I mean, they have, uh, um, you know, some very uh, devout people in there, and it's actually one of the great ironies of, of life here. Uh, do they Romania. have the Dodgers? Are the Dodgers uh, no, no, they do not have the Dodgers, but uh, the patriarch oh. here, uh, you know, was pretty clear about his opposition to, um, uh, you know, the, the that kind of activity, shall we say, or that kind of pro- that promotion of that kind of activity i don't uh, want to bring up uh, pussy riot but that was the other country that was uh yeah well you know it's okay Russia. to i guess you don't you don't really have your 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 the extent to which you are a democracy uh is correlated to the extent to which you allow the desecration on the iconostasis so you know so i guess that's the that's the, the standard in some places in the west uh um, so, so as yeah. the west as the west uh, devolves, contracts, and spasms its way into oblivion. 
I'm glad to know that Nicholas Cass, my brother, is out there thinking about these things. Well, come on Nick, out. Yeah. I'm, Nick, I'm, I am going to come out. Yeah. And we'll talk about that, but, you know, not publicly, okay? <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I could bring everyone with uh, <laughs> me, but I, but I can't. Yeah. Before we go, Nick, I got to ask you. <laughs> I got to ask you something fun from the guys. So we're coming up on Father's Day, and obviously you guys both talk highly of your dad and have some great stories. But, Nick, what do you got? Give me something. Give me a, a cast brothers and dad, you know, go into a ball game or go into a something. Give me give me a, a something, a warm and fuzzy, as I, I like to tell the hosts I produced for. Well, I you know, I can't I, – I don't know if it's like uh, uh, what day it was. It was a winter time because we went to uh, a hockey game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it just just popped into my mind, and so yes, so my dad got four box seats. Well, that's all we could get, you know, for some game sure. the Canadians or something. You know, Stan Makita and yeah. Bobby Hall. Man, you know, when you walked into the stadium in those days, oh. you walked up the ramp, and then you saw and you just heard the scream. Oh, I love it! Oh my god! And there was the scream. smoke. Yeah. yeah. There was the scream of the Canadians being beaten to a pulp <laughs> on the ice by Bobby Hull. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, I remember just getting, you know, we went out to the game and, you know, we only could get four seats. And so uh, we had one seat in the rafters. Uh, and, uh, but we, you know, we all sat down together as a family and I was a little guy. So I got to sit on my, you know, whatever, old. either, of, either, either on my dad's lap or, you know, squeeze next to John and uh, Peter. And then, of course, some Andy Frayne uh, guy saw us, and you know nobody else gave us uh, g- gave us any problem. And then some other Andy Frayne came down and uh, you know sort of broke up that uh, merriment. So my dad had to retreat up to the rafters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 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 it was interesting. Anyway, I yeah, lots, of, uh, lots of them. Those ten are- to two, ten to two. <laughs> I was uh, going to say, what was the score? No, the Blackhawks beat. The Canadians and John Ferguson ten to two. Le habitants, le habitants, because they pulled their goalie. They had to score a bunch of goals. They pulled their goalie. They knew they, they'd lost already. Yeah. They pulled their goalie, and we just poured it on, <laughs> and it was just, so good. I just remember another another Bobby Hull thing with Ferguson, where he was recovering from his broken jaw, yeah, yeah. and he had a helmet, so he was getting weak. You know, he was physically wasn't as strong it as he had been. Was needing, yeah, you know how that is. And he yeah. still fought Ferguson with a broken jaw and a helmet. So uh, that guy was something else. He was great. He was I love him. I love him. Yeah. He used to sign his name Boover Hull. Yeah, Boover <laughs> Hull. That's right. <laughs> I still have it. I have a Boover Hull signed uh, card. From- I know, uh, you got it. How yeah. you doing? You got How it you at uh, yeah. at the appliance store in Oakland. How you doing? Yeah. How you doing? And, then, <laughs> and then and then that stopped happening once uh, that guy uh, went to the meeting there, and it wasn't any meeting. Yeah, the yeah. guy went to the meeting, and then I ended up meeting a bunch of slugs from a 12-gauge shotgun and went through yeah. the window. Yeah. And how you doing? That's it. He ain't here no more. He's gone. <laughs> that, that, was like, that was a big moment because Oak Lawn, you know, was such a mob town that, you know, my understanding was You mean the was cop, that, coppers yeah, were mobbed up. And nobody wanted that kind of stuff happen in their neighborhood, right? So that's why right. they went there. But then it broke down, and I think that, uh, you know, well. Eh. It mean? all started there. <laughs> it all it did. It did. It did. Well, Nick, it's been great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, guys. My pleasure. Thanks, Nikki. For Nick Cass, former longtime official with the Department of State, the Central Intelligence Agency, other agencies, and my brother. And for Jeff Carlin and Christine, 
Gonna put her in here, Jeff. Sorry. Love you, Christine. Hope you're feeling better. We're all praying for you. And for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of John Cass News, writing my my Sunday Father's Day column and writing a few more as I continue this rehabilitation journey. Thanks for joining us on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Plus.